We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You don't want it. You don't need it. But you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, the show today is presented by my bookie. Everybody's trying to cash in on the next best crypto, but if you want a guaranteed way to double your money, all you need to do is use my promo code KevinDC at my bookie. It's simple. Sign up at my bookie with my promo code KevinDC, and your first deposit is immediately doubled all the way up to $1,000. Okay, just so you understand, you put in $300, you'll have $600 to gamble with. Put in $800, you'll have $1,600 to gamble with. Put in $1,000, you'll have $2,000 to gamble with. We're at that important part of the calendar. Lots of big college games and then bowl season where you'll have games every single day if you're primarily a football better. And right now, Washington um, becoming a pretty good bet uh, here recently, Tommy. And I'll tell you what, very possible, if not likely, they will be in the smell test tomorrow. They are catching less than three to the Raiders Sunday. And really, this is a heavily bet public game on the Raiders. I'm a little bit surprised at that, but the fact that the line is sitting there at two and a half, and I would advocate that you buy the line to three. You know, you pay you know minus one fifteen, minus one twenty to get it to plus three. Hopefully, you don't have to pay more than that, and you don't at my bookie, by the way. Um, uh, I like Washington this week. Let me just get that out there right now. That's going to start the show here today as I'm reading the spot for okay. my bookie. I like Washington on Sunday against the Raiders, buying the half point plus the three. Real quickly, because I'm looking at my bookie's site right now, the odds on the division, a couple of weeks ago, Dallas was like a minus 3,000 favorite to win the division. They're now minus 1,200, and Washington is plus 670 to win the division. That gap is narrowing very much uh, in the NFC East. Anyway, go to my bookie, mybookie.ag, mybookie.com. Use my promo code, Kevin DC. If you've got a place you're already uh, betting, who cares? Uh, sign up at my bookie, take their free money. Also, if you're a customer uh, of my bookie, um, re up with them so you have a chance. Um, to you know, uh, qualify for a lot of their other offers. They've got so many offers on their site. Tommy is with me. Uh, I will make up the missed podcast yesterday with a podcast on Saturday. Um, I did have a guest scheduled, and they bailed at the last minute, and then it got late, and I just bailed on the podcast altogether. You know what I, I realized, Tom? Monday night football games 
devastate me for the week. Really? They set you back days? Oh, my God. I am not a complainer when it comes to this stuff. I don't sit there and tell you, you know, what time I got up and how long my drive was and all of that stuff. Hopefully I don't. It's really, you know, I, I've tried not. I hear too no, much of it. you don't. I hear too much of it from people in our business. It drives me nuts. But the Monday night game, it's not just staying up for the Monday night game because I've stayed up, you know, during the year for the conclusion of a Monday night game. But it's then prepping for the show afterwards. So, you know, I was up prepping for the Tuesday morning show until like 1 a.m., 1.15, 1.30. That's, so that, that sets you back if you're on three hours sleep instead of trying to get five or six, which is normal for me. Um, and so yesterday when my guest who I think you will hear on Saturday bailed, I'm just like, can you do Saturday? And they're like, yeah, I can do Saturday. And I'm like, good, let's do that. I'm going to go home and go to sleep, which is what I did. And my wife came home and she goes, what are you doing? I go, I, I, I just, I, I, I was tired and I went to sleep in the middle of the day. There you go. There you have do you it. Off, do you, are you a nap guy at all? No. I mean, there are times like here in the studio, like I'll doze a little bit, maybe, especially when I'm doing the podcast with you and you're talking, I'll doze occasionally. <laughs> um, but no, no, no. I, I'll tell you what will happen occasionally. Like between the time the radio show ends and the time we start or after we finish in the car, sometimes as I'm trying to get caught up on different things on the phone, reading texts, uh, you know, whatever. I will sometimes doze off in the car in the parking lot. That's happened a couple of times. I think, you know, like in, in, in the summer when the air conditioning's, you know, the sound of the air conditioning and it's blowing or um, if the, it's a beautiful day and I've got the windows down and there's a breeze, that, that, that leads to at least, you know, a 10-minute maybe doze off. But no, not a wow, bit. This, this, you're, you're, you sound almost romantic. Not a There's big nap. No. Well, you're sitting in the car. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, real romantic sitting in, in the car in a parking Very lot. Very touchy feely there. You know what, Tom? I swear to God, I would sleep every single night with every window, you know, in my bedroom open year round. Except, obviously, when it's super hot. But cold doesn't bother me. It helps me sleep. My wife likes the heat. She's not a big crank the heat person, um, but 25 degrees, open up those windows, and I think I would sleep much better. I, I'm not, I can't stand the heat running and a hot place to sleep. I think most people are that way, aren't they? Probably. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, w- I would much rather deal with cold than hot. I mean, I can't, I mean, I, I can't sleep if it's hot in the room. Oh no, I cannot sleep if it's hot in the room. I end up, no. yeah, I, I end up waking up and it's 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 a disaster. But I'm saying in the middle of winter, on a cold night, if I were single and living by myself, I, the windows would be open. They'd at least be cracked a little bit because I to have that fresh air and to have it chilly in the room is much better for me. Anyway, well, I'm um, betting your wife goes to sleep before you do. Can't you just crack the window open? I could do that. And pay the consequences tomorrow, the next day? Mm, I don't think that would be fair because she would wake up and she'd say, what, what's going on in here? How did it get so cold? And then she'd wake me up. Oh, it's not about, I mean, how long you've been married? It's not about fair. Uh, Come on. That's probably true. 
you know, yeah, you're right. It shouldn't be about fair anymore. <laughs> That's a great attitude. No. You've That's... already you've already lost that battle. Um, we have so much to talk about today. I was just before I called you to start the show. I was just writing down. God, there's so much going on, and there's a lot that we haven't talked about. And look, the Robert Griffin the Third thing we're going to talk about today because the other day the news had just hit. I hadn't even watched the video. Um, and th- there's a lot to this and there's been a lot of follow-up. I-, I will tell you, I did a poll yesterday, Tom. Did you see it? Did you vote in the poll on RG3? You didn't see this. Poll. I don't recall. I, I put no, out a poll. I voted in today's poll. I put a, you, I put a poll out on Twitter during the radio show yesterday. The RG3 tell-all book titled Surviving Washington comes out in August. He promises to reveal the dysfunction he experienced in D.C. Are you going to read it? Now, before I give you the results of that poll, I did contemplate the you know possibility of doing a slightly different poll. Like, are you interested in it? You know, somewhat interested, not interested, very interested, to kind of get a better reflection of what people thought of the book. Because a lot of people don't read books anyway. You know, and a lot of people on these kinds of things, they're interested in the story, but they're not going to actually read the book. But the bottom line is the results of the poll, 82.5%, 3,500 votes, pretty decent sample size of Washington football fans. 82% said they're not reading the book. 18% said they will read the book. Well, I would suggest you should have followed up with another poll that asked them, have you read any book in the last year? That's my point. that's, yeah, that's and see wh- how close that is. Yeah, that's why I suggested yeah. that I was thinking about doing the poll in a more, um, you know, drilled down way. Like, are you interested in what he has to say in the book and doing like very interested, somewhat interested, not interested at all kind of a thing rather than asking if they'll actually read the book. But anyway, I do think people will get it piecemeal. It will get a lot of attention. You know what a lot of people you know, said? People- will write about it. People will post on stuff on social media about it. There'll be talk radio about it. And they'll, people will get bits and morsels of what they need. They, they don't need to read the book, probably, to, to get what they want out of it. A lot of people responded to the poll by saying, I'm not going to read the book, but I'm going to tune into you and Tom and listen to what you guys say <laughs> about the book. Which, you know, I understand that. I guess that, that means... We have to read the book, I guess. It looks like we have a responsibility come August. Um, I think so. My point is, I guess my point is, I don't think that people are, I don't think all these people are lying, and I think it does reflect some level of lack of interest. But I also think, um, look, I think some people are like, are very interested in this story. And when it comes out, it'll be in the middle, middle of August, and games won't be going on, and it'll be a big deal based on what he says. If he says anything you know, that becomes headline worthy. But there is a lot, and you and I have talked about this a lot in recent years. There's a shitload of RG3 fatigue. I don't even think he realizes how tired people are of his, you know, everyday uh, social media inspirational lectures. I I don't even, I I, I think he's too narcissistic to understand that. Yeah, I think he is. He's terribly narcissistic but uh it's hard for us to measure you know that fatigue level outside of our our area you know 
I mean, there's still a lot of people outside this sphere of Washington football that are convinced that the franchise ruined them. Yeah, but but I don't think that, that percentage is very high anymore among the fan base or what's left of it. I think that those Not among people, the fan base, but yeah. but beyond the fan base. You know, he has two million million Twitter followers. He can't ignore that. Right. So I guess somebody's what, paying attention. I guess what I'm saying is with our fan base, it, it was a very, very as we know, we lived it here every single day, a very, very emotional, passionate, polarizing issue. And, Very much so, and I don't think it is anymore. I think with our well, fan I base, I think there is an ex- there, there's an exhaustion level. You're right. It's not only ex- exhaustion, but it's a recognition of the people that thought he was being wronged after, you know, seven more years of a career that went nowhere. That maybe they were wrong, and it was as much his fault. At the very least, they're willing to, you know, concede that he was as he was as much at fault for it not working as everybody else that they blamed and he blamed. Look, I, I, like I referred to him in in my column, uh, he's a co-conspirator. Okay, I, yeah. I mean, he's not a victim; he's a co-conspirator. Right. Did we just talk about it, or should we? wait a little bit longer because I do want to get to the the sexual harassment stuff because I thought it was interesting the way he and his wife and even Gary Myers um, responded to some of the stuff. We'll do that a little bit later. Let me tell you about today's poll because I want to start the conversation with some football talk. Today's poll that I put out there and we ended up taking calls on it and I'm going to ask you this question. What exactly are we watching? What are we witnessing right now with this team having won three games in a row? What's going on here? Is this a team that is surging towards a playoff berth as a good football team? Is is it a team that's improved, but really, you know, they're not going to make the playoffs, but they've improved and it's a nice little cute thing the way they're getting better here at the end of the year? Or is it just kind of fool's gold? They've they've gotten lucky. They placed they, you know they played a Seattle team that was terrible on Monday night. They played a Carolina team in Cam's first game back. You know. They, they did beat Tampa. Um, what are we witnessing? I'll let you answer the question first. Well, my inclination is to say that they're they're heading towards a playoff spot. <laughs> but I, I, I know that that's that the easy answer is the middle port, the middle answer. You know, they're winning some games, but uh, you know they're 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 probably going to hit a wall at some point uh, and, and fall short, but. Uh, Unless something goes wrong with their stud quarterback, I don't see that the, the playoff train derailing. That's oh god! I mean, it's just it's it just let's always remember this when it really has to do so much more with our conversations about NFL than anything else. It just changes, and it you have to allow it to change. You can't be stuck on one opinion from September when it comes to this league no. and think it's going to hold up. No, you can't. <clears throat> um, you can't. I, I think this team right now, at the very least, is a massively improved team from where they were you know, at the end of the Denver game heading into the bye week. Um, and it's a team that I have this confidence level in right now 
that they're going to play well the rest of the way. That offensively they're going to play well. I think they're going to be tested on Sunday defensively more than they have been in their last two games. Um, I think they're going to be tested if Dallas is healthy in two weeks or a week from Sunday. Um, And I think that'll be an interesting thing to to keep an eye on because I – you know, Carolina and Seattle, I mean, I mentioned this on Monday with you, it was the worst quarterbacked performance against them all season long. Uh, but I'm, I am confident in, in how they're playing right now, and I'll take it a step further. I'm confident in the coaching staff. God, we've had this conversation so many times. I am kind of glad that I didn't bail on – I'm still kind of a, a Ron guy, and I know we've all wavered, those of us that were Ron, Ron guys, like happy that they hired him, thought they overachieved in hiring him, not you know calling him a Belichick or you know a Peyton or somebody like that, um, but to say they you know outkicked their coverage in the hiring of him and they've got a high-quality person and they've got a competent head coach which is what I've thought from the moment they hired him. And there have been times, including last year, when some of the comments were contradicting what we were seeing. It got a little bit, you know, dicey, and we talked about it the bye week. I mean, is he in trouble? Um, And I didn't think he would be, and I didn't think he should be. I think he is, Tommy, a really strong motivator and leader. I don't know where I would put him on the X's and O's part of the coaching, and I don't really know right now, and I think it's too early to sort of judge him completely on his record of being essentially the head decision maker when it comes to personnel. I think that that's not been an obvious strength yet. But, you know, it's we're, only, we're not even two years in. And he's got players who are making contributions who, you know, a lot of people thought, well, that's a terrible pick. And, and by the way, Jamin Davis is starting to play better. But, but I'm getting sidetracked because I think the most important thing is this is the highest quality person and the and the most adult person they have had in their organization in a long time. And we saw it last year when they were one and five, two and seven, no matter what the, the circumstances and, and the context was, bad division, bad opponents, third string quarterbacks, the whole thing. Because um, he's done this before in Carolina. You know, he, his pers- winning percentage in December is outstanding. His teams always improve. And his best players, guys like Luke Keekley. I had Sam Fortier from the Washington Post on the radio show, and he interviewed for a story last year, and he remembered it, uh, Keekley and a couple of other players from the Panthers, and they said when he stands up, even in a bad situation, and tells us it's going to be okay and it's going to work out, we believe him. I think that I'm confident in this staff right now would I be more confident in Belichick of course uh seven eight other guys in their staffs but they've got a real leader and a motivator and I think these players are responding for a second straight year I don't know if it'll be enough to get them into the playoffs but I think that they're going to be competitive and have a chance in almost all of these games that they play over the final six now I think they're going to have to win four of them so I don't know if they will but I uh, I have a, a level of confidence, especially after Monday night, um, and I should have had it more so after the first two wins, uh, but something's happening here that's positive for them. Yeah, 
I agree. I agree with most of what you said. Uh, I told you what I heard a while ago, that uh, when it comes to the actual coaching of the team, that Del Rio has a lot to do with it. Mm -hmm. Uh, which doesn't take away from anything you said about Ron Rivera. It might enhance uh, it. As, right, as a leader uh, and a motivator. Uh, I'm not arguing that at all. Uh, and I don't know what kind of relationship the two of those men have. I've, I've, I've heard nothing to indicate that they don't have a good relationship, so I don't really know what one way or, or, or the other. But I agree with you. I think that, look... Here's what I think they are, and we've talked about this before. I think they're a team that's playing good, not necessarily a good team. Okay? And, and I, I don't know if anything will get in the way of that uh, between now and the end of the season. I mean, arguably, I mean, when we looked at the beginning of the year, at this point, I mean, they're past. The, for the most part, the, land, the minefield that we thought this schedule was going to be. I mean, now, you know, now we're facing, you know, after, we, after you get past the Raiders, you're facing division games. And those are totally unpredictable, uh, no matter how good one team is and the other. But the, the games all before this, that stretch of games uh, that we thought, you know, where they were playing all these great quarterbacks, uh, they're they're almost they're almost done. Yeah, I mean they've got a good one Sunday, and they've got a good one, especially if his weapons are back, and they're going to be back tonight. Uh, Cooper and Lamb in Prescott, um, so that's three of their six games. But yeah, um, I think, uh, and, and by the way, better stated uh, as a journalist uh, should state it, um, I think they're a team playing well, um, but I don't. But I'm not sure that they're not good. You think they're a team playing well, but they're not a good team. I think right now they're not a bad team, and I think they're playing well and that they are right now a, a good team. Not not a great team. Not, you know, um, there are four teams in the NFC right now that are obviously better. You know, the Packers – the Buccaneers, the Cardinals. And to be honest with you, I still think the Cowboys and the Rams are both better. And the 49ers might be better now as well. Some of those teams, though, aren't playing well. But I think they are right. good teams when they're healthy. Um, but I think Washington is playing well and is right now a good team. Subject to change, of course. Watch them get blown out Sunday. You know, with Deshaun Jackson running, you know, by – uh, by McCain and and everybody else in the secondary. Um, there was something else you said that I wanted to, that I, uh, that was so that was so good per usual, and now I forget what it was. But I um yeah I, I think oh I, what I was going to get to let me let me get to this real quickly. <clears throat> so I had somebody tweet me. Victor tweeted, and I want to read it. Here it is. Um, Kevin, are you going to be? the playoff scenario guy this year or not. Playoff scenario guy. Um, seems to me that we could get in with an 8-9 and nine record, which means just a 3-3 three and three finish. That doesn't seem to be that hard. Also, has any team ever made the playoffs two years in a row with a losing record? Um, I 
well, first of all, yeah, I at uh, this time of year, I'm always trying to figure out the playoff stuff, uh, whether it's with our team or anybody uh, uh, other teams. So I will keep you posted on all of the playoff scenarios. I promise about uh, uh, on that. But Tommy, this would be this would be unbelievable. First of all, I knew the answer to his question. The answer is no. There have only been a couple of teams that have ever ma- ever made the playoffs with a losing record. Ron Rivera has two of the three. Now, taking the 82 season, the strike-shortened season out of the equation because there were two teams that were 4-5 and five and made the postseason in an expanded playoff format because of the strike-shortened season, if you recall. There were eight teams in each conference. Washington went to the Super Bowl and won it that year. But since, um, since the merger, there have only been three teams to make the postseason with a losing record. The Seahawks in 2010 with beast mode in that run he had against the Saints. They won a playoff game at 7-9 and nine in Seattle against the Saints. Uh, Ron Rivera's Panthers in 2014 made it at 7, 8, and 1. And the Washington football team last year with Ron Rivera at the helm made it at 7 and 9. Can you imagine if Washington were to be the 7 seed at 8 and 9 this year and Rivera's taken three teams to the postseason with a losing <laughs> record? I mean, you'd have to call it, you know. Uh, the Rivera playoff path or something. I, I mean, it's so rare. By the way, when you and I have had uh, conversations about Rivera in the past, and I remember one conversation that just occurred to me, the conversation where you're like, Mike McCarthy's just a much better coach, and you cited his record and the fact that Ron Rivera had you know six losing seasons and nine, yada, 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 whatever. Um, I, I still think you're wrong, and not because of the three-game winning streak. I, 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 I just I'm not a big fan of Mike McCarthy and have never been. But anyway... Um, it really would be unbelievable because eight and nine is possible for the seven seed. Now, I went through all the team's schedules to see if it was more of just a distant possibility versus a probability. I personally think that um, you're going to have to get to nine wins to make the postseason in the NFC. And there are, for those that don't know how it works, seven teams now. By the way, the chances of making it to the playoffs with a losing record are higher now. And they were higher last year. Not because of the 17th game, but because of the seventh playoff team. Last year was the first year of having seven playoff teams. Now, Washington would have made it even if it were just six because they won their division. But the odds are higher now that a losing record team will make it than with fewer playoff teams. Anyway, I think most people understand the, the probability difference there. On, on the NFC playoff race, the four division winners make it, and then three wild cards. Um, right now, Washington is actually in the seventh spot, the third wild card with a five and six record. I was looking at, though, the, the, the possibility. Right now, there are four, five, and six teams, Washington, Atlanta, New Orleans, and Minnesota. And they're all tied for the seven seed. And right now, Washington owns the tiebreakers, which is why they're penciled in as the seven seed right now with still six games left. I think more likely than not, one of those four teams, and by the way, it might be Washington, is going to go four and two down the stretch and get to nine wins. So if you assume that the six seed is going to have a winning record, at least nine wins, I think the seven seed is going to be a nine win team. Uh, it's it's not it's not a long shot. I would put it at like one in three chance, like a thirty three percent chance that an eight and nine record gets you in, which means they've got to go four and two from my standpoint 
to make the playoffs. I think four and two is required. Okay. And four and two at nine and eight isn't going to win the division either. I mean, I don't think it's going to be unless you really think Dallas is only going to win two of their final six games. I, it's it's There's a chance. Tonight's big. Tonight's big either way. If Dallas loses, it's good for the division race. If New Orleans loses, it's good for the wild card race. Right. Um, so either result is helpful tonight. But um, really, you probably want to root for a New Orleans loss. Cause yeah, because you think your wild card is, is, is the way it's in. It's still the more likely path to the postseason right. for Washington. And remember, right. you lost to New Orleans, so you don't want to be in that seventh spot with a two-team tiebreaker because you would lose that tiebreaker to New Orleans. You would win it with Atlanta um, because you beat Atlanta. Um, there are also two teams lurking, Philadelphia and Carolina, that have the same number of wins that everybody else has, but they've got one more loss. So for them to get to nine, they've got to they've got to go four and one. You think four and two for Washington down the stretch is possible? I think it's possible. I don't know that they'll do it. I, I'm not predicting that they'll do it. In fact, I'm predicting that they won't. I think three and three, and an eight and nine finish and outside of the playoffs is 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 my, is my best bet right now. What do you think? You know what? I think it's possible. I think everything you said is pretty good. I want to talk a little bit more about the Ron Rivera losing record playoff phenomenon, but isn't their last game of the season against the Giants? Yes. Wouldn't it be ironic one more time is if they if the Giants are out of it and Washington needs to win that game and they lose it to the Giants, a team that has nothing to play for, uh, with maybe a coach on his way out again, I mean, like they've done before well, what, to that team. That, oh, would, that oh, would be oh, so oh, ironic. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Because I was thinking about, well, they yeah. beat Philadelphia in that spot. You're talking about the Giants for the game uh, from a few years ago. Yeah. Um, yeah. But the Giants, were a play- the Giants were a playoff team that year, remember? No, at one time the Giants were not a playoff team. Well, in, 20, and they lost in 2016, when Washington finished 8-7-1 and missed the playoffs and all they had to do was beat the Giants at FedEx on right. New Year's Day, the Giants were an 11-5 and team that year. They, they were already in the postseason. Right, that was the Ben McAdoo team. Yeah, that, yeah. Was, that was the Kirk Cousin pick to Rodgers Cromartie at the end. Right. Um, and I like to point out the defense was horrendous in that game as well. But, what, but whatever. Um, but which Giant game well, I know what it was. I, I know what it was. Jay Gruden had declared that if they beat the Giants in the last game that year, they'd have a winning season. And Jay Gruden had declared that it was important, unlike Ron Rivera, to have a winning record. They weren't going to make the playoffs, but Jay Gruden had gone on the record that said it was important for his team to have a winning record. Oh, and they were playing a terrible right, Giants right, team. Right, 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 right. Yeah, terrible, but, but a terrible Giants team. Right. That was yeah. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, that I would. I, 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 you're talking about the end of the 2017 season. I don't think about those right. games at all. I mean, it's like I the, know you don't. But yeah, I mean, why would but you? The coach had put. Oh, okay. But the coach had raised the stakes. Y- yeah, but the coach can't get players who are already checked out and already have God, you God, know God. their flight booked to you know Turks and Caicos. Um, they, they they can't get them to play that game. Um, it's like right. I, I remember. Um, but but the, but the Giants had the same flights. Yeah, right. 
Okay, the Giants had the same flights booked. Yeah. My point. I, uh, not, uh, to, what is your to, point? To bounce off that. Yeah. No, that that was my point. Okay. To bounce off that, Jay Gruden thought it was important to have a winning record. Okay. Ron Rivera. Let's say they make the playoffs for the second year in a row with a losing record, and then get bounced in the first game of the playoffs for the second straight year. Is that a successful season? Oh yeah. Um, so y- yes, it is. Uh, last year, really? Yeah, because I, you know me, I'm not the guy rooting for draft position when you've got a chance to go to the postseason. That's not. That's not what I mean. I mean. Isn't it? So, don't at oh, some point uh, when you play if, over if, the if they ra- of the if, year? if they rallied from two and six to go eight and nine, and they finished, you know, call it three and three the rest of the way, and made the postseason, this would be a successful season in context. Uh, it wouldn't be from where our actually look. What was your prediction before the season started? My prediction, I I think you I were eight back. I was remember I I, I I chickened out and said eight eight and one, yeah, oh so that's what I thought. I thought that we would get to the end of the season and we would think we saw an improved football team, but it wasn't going to be good enough to be a playoff team this year. But you know everything changes. Like the the way they started, they were a bad football team. They were a bad football yeah. team that was underachieving based on, you know, they do have some talent. You know, it's not like they're not as bad as as some of the real horrendous teams. They're not the Jets talent-wise. Anyway, yeah. would it be a successful season? What if, if they lose that first playoff game? Is that what you said? Yeah. Don't at some point you have to start winning during a regular season? Yeah, but can you imagine it would be the first time since in 30 years that they went to the playoffs in back-to-back years, and they did it with <laughs> losing records. And that would be Washington football, self-Washington football. It would be, but I, I think a run from 2-6 and six into the postseason, so what would that ultimately – well, that, that would have been a 6-3 and three finish, right? Um, from 2-6 and right. to 8-9, um, and, and – Doing it with, you know, basically the backup quarterback this year, um, even though maybe he should have been the starter from the beginning, we'll never know what, what Ryan Fitzpatrick would have done. I, I asked him that question when he was on with me a few weeks ago. I said, we don't know. What do you know? What do you think? What would Ryan Fitzpatrick have done? How, you know, would this team have been a better team? And that was at two and six. And he said, and he, he said we were really excited about what Ryan was going to provide for us, you know, in the same way that Alex provided, but with more, you know, physical capability. I don't know. Maybe they would have been better with Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, but he wouldn't have been able to help the defense, although, you know, scoring points and keeping the game, you know, competitive also helps a defense. Anyway, we're rambling here. I, I you, the, you, the Rivera thing – I'm I'm a believer that this is a high quality guy who's a great motivator and a great leader. I don't know about the X's and O's thing. Oh, this is what I wanted to say to you. You know what I've noticed also about him in recent weeks? Listen to when he is being asked a question that leads to a positive answer. More times than not, it's all about his assistant coaches or the players themselves. I've noticed that about him. And by the by the way, a great characteristic of a leader 
that when things yes, are going it well, it's everybody else that's making it happen. And when things aren't going well, it's, you know, the buck stops here. And there was a lot of buck stops here talk in, during the two and six. I just think from that standpoint, I think he gets it. I mean, well, I'm still, uh, yeah. He, he, he's a stand-up guy. I mean, I've never met him. From afar, he seems like a stand-up guy who most people could believe they can trust. You know, and in that organization, that, that's been a rare currency uh, over, over the years. So I'm sure he, he stands out because of that. And you're right, de- deflecting credit to others is a sign of, of, of a good leader. I mean, you let your accomplishments speak for themselves. You know, you can, you can throw bouquets out to the people who helped you reach those accomplishments because the smart people are going to recognize that, you know, you're the guy on top, so you set the tone for all of it. You know, you don't have to blow your own horn. 100%. That should be a lesson to all your kids out there. Let everybody else talk about how great you are. You don't need to do it yourself yeah. on social media or any other way. Um, now, let me point out, yes. if you go back and listen to the post-game interview on the field from Taylor Heineke, he does exactly that. Oh, he, yes. Every question. Very good point. Every single question. Yep. I mean, it's a great blocking from the offensive line. I agree. The defense gave him, put us in great position. Yep. It's, you know, I had great all that. You, you just don't, I mean, it's, it's so, I mean, which is impressive. Yeah, so. For a kid who's probably waited his whole life for this situation. So, you know, other than maybe being a little bit too platitude-driven, which, you know, Ron can can rely on a lot, um, which, you know, whatever, uh, it's, it's a coach and you get a lot of that from coaches over, over time. Um, I think, uh, as he would say, um, there are things that are interesting and there are things that are important. And what you just pointed out and what I just pointed out with the head coach and the quarterback, these are important things. Yeah. That's what yeah, I would say. Absolutely. These are the things that have been missing. Right. Um, I wanted to, because I was going to do this on the show yesterday, um, just c- clean up a few loose ends from the Monday night game. I-, I still do not understand at all why they didn't kick the 20-yard field goal at the end, on f- or you know, fourth and goal at the four. The 20 would have been a 21-yard field goal, up 17-9. to nine. I don't think that that was a great decision. I personally just don't think it was a great decision. Uh, now, I, I can't wait to ask him that. I'm going to ask him that today. I record my interview with him on Thursday afternoons, and it runs tomorrow morning on the radio show on 980 at 8 a.m. I just can't believe, Tommy, that if the score had been – let me just let – me, let me start with this. He said kicking was not an option. He said that. It was not an option the other night. Um, I was told by Nate Katzer, our special teams coach, can't kick. We can't do it. The operation not going to work. <clears throat> okay. Um, I wonder if it had been fourteen to fourteen, or they had been down fourteen to thirteen. Would he have gone for the fourth and goal from the four, or would he have sent his punter out there to kick a field goal that most of you out there who are fathers, with you know, with your daughters or sons, might have you know them holding for you occasionally at, at your local you know high school field to see if you can make a, an extra point or a college extra point it's not an NFL extra point anymore 
um, could probably make four or five out of ten. Don't you think Tressway could? Yeah, I do. But Courtney Rivera, Ron's daughter, tweeted out the following on Tuesday. She tweeted out something that I feel like some of you don't know or forget. Tress is a lefty punter. If Tress kicks, that means we have a backup holder. Why? Because Tressway, of course, is the main holder. Holding for a lefty kicker. So a backup holder holding for a lefty kicker. It's hard enough to be a holder when you don't practice it every day, but to go from righty to lefty kicker isn't easy. Really? Why? uh, What am I missing? Okay, I... Oh, I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take their word for that. Okay, okay. well, I'm going to ask him about it. Um, okay. l- let me start with this. There should be a contingency plan for, you, for losing that's your kicker. The, okay, number that's one. That's the key. Okay. That's the key. So, they should have a plan B. So the great leader and motivator that I just spent 20 minutes talking about did not have a contingency plan for losing his kicker. And you should, because it's not an impossibility that you will lose a kicker. You know, they're involved in these kickoffs that sometimes break through and there you see them trying to chase somebody or they get mowed over by somebody and they can get hurt in a game. You should have a contingency kicking plan. The punter, I would imagine, is the contingency kicker in most uh, situations. And I would imagine that the quarterback, the starting quarterback, or the backup quarterback, or somebody like Logan Thomas, who played quarterback, is the contingency holder. Well, if your backup kicker is a left-footed kicker, well, then you should have somebody holding that can hold for a left-handed kicker. Now, on the left-handed kicker thing, the difference is... If, you, if you're a right-hander, okay, and you're holding for a right-hander, you kneel on the right side of the kicker, and your, your arm that reaches out the furthest that will have the first contact with catching the ball is your dominant arm. So Kyle Allen is the backup holder. Kyle Allen with a left-footed kicker would have to catch it more with his le- less dominant arm which I guess is the point on why maybe Courtney Rivera believes that it's harder. But Kyle Allen's a quarterback in the NFL. He can catch a ball, even for a lefty kicker, put it down. He doesn't need the laces, or you know, if, if he doesn't want the laces, who cares? It's 20 yards. It's a Look, punch. I didn't have, I didn't have, I didn't have any problem with his call. Because and I was proven wrong on this. I thought I, I thought to myself, the worst that can happen is you don't get the touchdown. They're on what the, the, the two yard line, four yard line. Yeah, they haven't. They, okay, they haven't Three, been able to line, move yeah. the ball ten yards for half of, most of the game. They're not going to march down the field and score with less than two minutes left. It's not going to happen. Which is exactly what happened. Let me separate. Uh, you, I, but I don't I, disagree I, with I, you. I, I don't have... disagree with you. Okay. Because okay. I want to separate the fact that he said kicking wasn't an option from whether or not the decision not to kick was the right decision. What you just said is totally, you know, totally makes sense. Like if the answer had been, look, um, 
we thought we had a better chance of scoring, and if we didn't, it would really increase the difficulty given what they had done already. Um, and we didn't want to give them the ball at the 20-yard line with a missed field goal because it would go to the 20. You know, any kick inside 20 yards, no matter where they put it down, and they would put it down at the 10 or the 11-yard line, it would go to the 20 if it were missed. I didn't want to give them any room. Um, we thought we could score, and by the way, they nearly did. Um, yeah. And that was just the decision. But that wasn't the reason he gave. The reason he gave was kicking was not an option there. And then we got the explanation from his daughter. And by the way, I don't think she was the only one who said this. Well, it, it's because Tressway's a lefty kicker. It's it's harder. Okay. By the way, I, I, this, if that had been the explanation, I would have understood it. Still, you ice the game with a field goal, but I didn't think Seattle was going to move the ball 80 yards, let no. alone 96. So I'm with you no. on that. But how about moving forward? You got a contingency plan for losing your kicker, who, by the way, the new kicker is Brian Johnson. He went to Gonzaga locally. Uh, so we've got another local uh, kicker, which is really uh, funny. hysterical. Um, now, you're not going to say to him at any point in your interview, you know, I could have made that kick. <laughs> you're not going to do that, are you? Say, I knew you were going to say that. You know who would say you're that? You're not going to say, you know – David. Well, because he can actually really <laughs> kick. Yes, I know. Yeah. But, you, but you, know, you know what they would say. It's easy to shoot foul shots on the playground when there's nobody around. Oh, yeah. Uh, as opposed uh, of, to when the game's on the line at 18,000. Okay. I wouldn't, so. I wouldn't say that, but, you know, <laughs> Tressway, I mean, he was 11 for 11 on college PATs at Oklahoma when he was forced to kick, I guess, for a partial a part of a season. I think he could have probably more likely than not stuck it through the uprights from 20 yards. Look, maybe one of the reasons was the previous PAT had been blocked and they were, you know, they were worried about it getting blocked and going the and other what way. If Tressway, <laughs> what if Tressway said to him, I can't do it? He didn't, though. I don't, I don't think. I, I, I think really? Yeah, I think the special teams coach said it. I think Tressway told the special teams coach, Nate Katzer, hey, I think, you know, if we really need it from like 20 yards, I think I can do that one. Now, an extra point okay. is a 37-yarder, but they didn't have an extra point. They had a college extra point, which would have counted three in the NFL from basically the 20, uh, 20 yards, 21 yards out. Um, whatever. I've, we've spent too much time on that. I, I, I'll ask the question respectfully and just say, why didn't you have a kicking contingency? Do, 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 I mean, do, you had, do, how, how should I ask it? Go ahead. Tell me how I should ask it. Okay, uh, are are you going to have uh, another option other than Tressway uh, to kick extra points if this moving forward? Well, they're not going to carry two kickers, so it's got to no. be Tressway. Well, no, there could be a guy on the roster. I mean, basically, that's where you Deacon gather Jones? everybody together and you say, everybody who's kicked field goals in high school, raise your hand. Yeah, true. And then you just take them off on the side of the field and start practicing field goals for 10 minutes of practice. Yeah. I, I, by That's the way, what Coach Lavera would do. By the way, there may be, I don't know that he's the only team that might not have a kicking contingency. I'm just saying makes sense to me that maybe for 20 minutes a week, uh, your contingency kicking plan, because it is a big part of the game and can be a decisive part of the game, 
hey, Kyle Allen and Tressaway, we're gonna get let's get out there with Cam Cheeseman, the center. Let's work on you know 15 minutes of of 30 yard and in. You know, uh, Kyle, it's, it's he's left footed. You're gonna have to line up you know on on his left side and catch it with your left hand more than your right hand and just put it down. Just get it down in some way that gives him a chance to kick it through the uprights. I think I'll tell you what, George Allen would have had a plan B. Well, he was a special teams guru. Yes, he, he was. And, he and Marv Levy. Well, I can tell you right now, Mike Bragg was the backup kicker. They lost Kurt Knight. They lost Mark Mosley a couple times, and Mike Bragg was the backup field goal kicker. Uh, in fact, I may be wrong about this, but I think Mike Bragg kicked in a playoff game field goals for them one year. Uh, all right. Um, oh, the other thing I just wanted to mention real quickly because I went back and did a little bit of, of watching the game uh, on Tuesday, and I didn't have the podcast yesterday. The three short yardage misses, I believe the first two were read options that Taylor Heineke should have kept the ball on. The DN crashed down hard, um, and they looked like read option plays. It's another thing I'm going to ask Ron today, um, because if they were you know, uh, options for the quarterback to keep the ball. He made a big mistake on two short yardage downs. Um, it, they were easy reads. The defensive end, end makes commits early, crashes early towards the running back, and he would still be running had he kept him on both of those. The first one was a third and two. The second one was a third and one. And the game would have, you know, the scoreboard probably would have more reflected the dominance of Monday night had they not punted on three consecutive possessions because they got stopped on three straight third downs. And then, you know, the fourth down run that they got was called back for a hold on Sheriff. Um, the third one was not a read option. They went w- with more sort of outside zone with Patterson, and I thought he made the wrong uh, read. I thought he should have stayed to the outside, pressed, 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 as they say in zone run, and kept it all the way outside because there was no cutback opportunity, and I think he would have been okay. All right. Um, I will weigh in on the Maryland game last night. Uh, there may be a smell test on tonight's Saints-Cowboys game. Uh, the Wizards won last night, and the combination of their centers were uh, incredible numbers put up. I want to have a bit of a conversation about the college football coaching carousel, Tommy, and we'll get to the RG3 thing. I don't know why I'm teasing all of this. You guys will hear it, hopefully, if you listen to the rest of the show. Uh, we will get to all of those things and more right after these words from a few of our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
The best way to learn a language? Immersion. Living where the language is spoken and using it every day. But if that's not in the cards this year, you can still learn a language the second best way. And that's with Babbel. Be a better you in 2024 with Babbel, the science-backed language learning app that actually works. Don't pay hundreds of dollars for private tutors or waste hours on apps that don't really help you speak the language. Babbel's quick 10-minute lessons are handcrafted by over 200 language experts and help you start speaking a new language in as little as three weeks. Babbel's designed by real people for real conversations, and their tips and tools are approachable, accessible, rooted in real-life situations, and delivered with conversation-based teaching, so you're ready to practice what you've learned in the real world. Here's a special limited-time deal for our listeners. Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at babbel.com slash bluewire. That's 60% off at babbel.com slash bluewire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash bluewire. Rules and restrictions apply. A reminder to all of you, if you haven't subscribed, it really helps us if you do that. It doesn't cost you a thing. Also, rate us and review us, especially on Apple and Spotify where you can rate us five stars. That really helps rate us, uh, review us with a sentence or two. I mean, you can pause the podcast right now and do it. It takes all of a minute. Um, so, so many of you have done it, and I appreciate it. And I know based on our numbers that a lot of you haven't, and I know that it's a pain in the ass or it seems like it's a pain in the ass. And for some of you who have already... Um, done it and you didn't realize you did it, it's not even available for you to do it. So I understand that as well. But if you haven't done it and the rating and review thing pops up on Apple or Spotify, if you could take a minute and do that, it really does help us on the business end. So Maryland lost again last night, Tommy. They lost to Virginia Tech in the ACC Big Ten Challenge. Um, Virginia Tech is a good team. Uh, they were borderline ranked to start the season. I'm not going to sit here and tell you how great Virginia Tech is. Um, I think they're a good team, and a lot of people think they're going to contend for you know a top four, top five finish in the ACC this year. Uh, and they're well coached, and Maryland had a seven-point lead in the second half. And then the bottom line is Virginia Tech out-executed Maryland over the final nine, ten minutes of the game. All of you are that listen to the Maryland stuff, and I know many of you do because I see the follow-up. I know what you want. You want me to say, I'm done with Turgeon. Turgeon's not a good coach. Um, when, are, when am I going to realize it after 11 years that they're never going to do anything big as long as Mark Turgeon is the coach? Well, I'm not going to say that because it's not true. He is a good coach. Um as I've said many times, you only have to ask other coaches what they think of Mark, and I've done that many times over the years. Um, and he's very well respected. Is he an elite coach? No, and I've never said he was an elite coach. Last night, um, he got out at executed, period. Virginia Tech executed very well on offense. They got their best shooters, wide open looks in the key portions of the game, and those shooters knocked down shots. And Maryland couldn't make shots in part because they weren't getting good shots with their offense. That's the way I saw last night's game. If you want to call that coaching, certainly coaching played a role in the game last night. Virginia Tech executed at a high level, and Maryland did not. Now, further on Maryland, what's become clear here through eight games, to me, my opinion, 
is they don't have a lot offensively in particular, and I don't know that they're that great defensively either. You know, the, I, I, I said last night to a friend of mine, um, Steve Sands and I were talking last night. Sands, huge Maryland guy. Um, and I said, you know, this is one of the first times in a while this early in the season, because he's had some tough results early in seasons. And I've said, hang in there, hang in there. It's going to change. I see, you know, I think Cowan's going to be pl- be better. I think Sticks is going to emerge. Or I think Morcel and Wiggins and, you know, and I think Ayala's. De- and I, like, saw Tommy a way for them to get good. And, you know, November basketball is November basketball. They've lost they've lost a lot of games, you know, at various points in, in seasons and then come back and had pretty good seasons, meaning early in seasons. You know, they lost um, – they lost an early game uh, to um, uh, Seton Hall. They looked horrible in a game a few years ago against the Seton Hall team that was just okay, and everybody wanted them fired, and then he came back and they won like seven straight Big Ten games, something like that. Um, I don't feel very good about what I'm watching this year. They don't have well, – an... go uh, ahead. You follow Michael Onergan? Do I follow Michael Lonergan? No. On Twitter? I don't. Michael Lonergan posted that that, uh, after the game. uh, First of all, he had two posts uh, related to the game. Uh, He said the team is loaded with talent, has a good coach, and could have a great season, but somebody needs to tell the players to stop shooting trees and feed the beast. Then he went on to say, that hopefully by Christmas, Turgeon will realize that Wahab, their, their center from uh, yeah, Nigeria, <laughs> yeah. is their best player and play him more minutes and give him the ball every time down the court. Um, yeah, so I disagree with him about what did you say? He said they're loaded with talent. I, di- I totally disagree with said. that. I totally disagree they have with good- that. Yeah, he said they have loaded with talent. Yeah, I'm reading a tweet right now. I just pulled it up. They're loaded with talent, have a good coach, and could have a great season. But, okay, here's the thing. So, um, Wahab was really good last night offensively, and they didn't double him. Um, A lot of teams have doubled him, and he has struggled as a passer with the double team, uh, which I I know it would worry me a little bit. and they fed him more than they fed him, you know, in any game this year because there wasn't a double and he was scoring. Then he got in foul trouble, and he is at times a liability defensively. And when he got in foul trouble, he got pulled. He ended up playing 25 minutes. Most of the reason he didn't play like 35 minutes or 30 minutes at least is because of the foul trouble. And I know that Turge also, I think, gets very – defense is his thing more than anything else. And I think he's always had a good sense of what, you know, what kind of, of, of players he needs on the floor based on the opponent to have a good defensive outing. And there have been a couple of games where Wahab couldn't be on the floor because they didn't have a center on the other end, or if they had a center, it was an athletic center that could take him out to the three-point line. And he is definitely a post-presence offensive and defensive player. So that would be the reason. But I will, t- I will say this, it, based on Mike's tweet, and I know Mike pretty well. Um, I hate that. I hate when I hear coaches say, well, we had to go small to match up with the other team. Uh, I, I couldn't play them in that game because, 
he couldn't guard anybody on the other team and we just suffered so much defensively. Because sometimes it means that the other team is struggling to match up with you on the other end. You know, I would always, uh, Tommy, the default should be play your best players and figure yeah. it out. You know, the it's really more of a, of a last 10 to 15-year phenomena when you hear coaches say, we had to go big or we had to go small. Uh, I couldn't play him because he's a defensive liability and I had to take him out. It hurts when we, we don't have him on the floor because we're missing something. No, play your best players and make the other team figure out how to deal with you. I actually was in a text uh, discussion last night with a certain Hall of Fame coach. And I, 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 he said there's, there's not an alpha offensively on this team, which is true. They've had that in recent years, you know. They've had somebody that could really bail them out on a bad shooting night, you know, whether it was Cowan or Sticks or Wiggins. Um, and they don't have that on that team. That's not Eric Ayala. Our Eric, Eric really excelled playing off of guys like Cowan and Wiggins. Uh, Fats Russell is not that guy, not in a half court set. There's a lot I love about Fats Russell, but you got to rebound well and you got to turn people over to get into, you know, a high level transition game because they don't run off made buckets typically. And Virginia Tech was very well coached. They were back on defense, you know, and it was going to be tough to run against them anyway. I, I, that's one of the things I you, you'll always hear from people who, you know, can't stand uh, a program or a coach or whatever. They should run more. They should run more. They should have more pace. And I agree over the years with Turgeon's teams. I've told him this before, by the way. <laughs> you know, as a youth coach, of course I would tell him this. I think they should be much higher in pace of play. Their possessions, um, they've been one of the lower-ended D1 schools in possessions per game almost every year that he's been here. And they are again so far this year. And he's had some teams that have been much more talented th- th- than this team that should have run more and should have pressed more and should have created more up-tempo play. But you, you can't do that if you don't rebound. <laughs> you know. And I will tell you, in the Big Ten – so many well-coached teams, it's hard to run against some of those teams unless you're turning them over on the perimeter or really rebounding well because they're not going to get beaten transition off a made bucket. Anyway, they don't have an alpha offensively. Um, they don't have playmakers offensively. Russell is a playmaker in the open floor, not in the half court. They don't have consistent shooters. Now, Scott should be a better shooter, and Ayala can shoot it, and Hart can shoot it at times. Um, But they just are right now, for me, the Wahab comment, yeah, if they're they're not going to double and you've got a good matchup, I would go inside out all, all night long with Wahab. I mean, they were one for 13 from behind the arc. They have not shot it well from behind the arc in any games with the exception of the Richmond game where they exploded like in the second half with a bunch of threes. Um, but I am worried about this team. I don't think it's loaded with talent. I think the perception was based on how they – you know, got Wahab and got Russell and got Martinez, who, by the way, should not be a backup point guard. That is becoming very obvious. He's not a good enough ball handler. He's not a good enough passer. He's not good enough in sort of the feel of a game. I know why he's got him out there. He looks like he's a pretty good defender and pretty athletic, not a point guard. Uh, But 
Um, I'm worried. Like I, if he figures this one out as he's done with some teams where we've been, where most people have been uh, worried before, then you know, uh, look, I put it on him by the way that they don't have enough talent. You know that that, that yeah. you know that that's part of his responsibility too. He may say. What are you kidding me? Wahab and Fats were two of the, the biggest wins in the in the transfer portal. I don't care what some rating service says. I'm watching them play right now. Wahab's decent. Fats Russell's decent. They're, you know, no, but they're not loaded with talent. They don't have major difference makers right now on this team. They have had difference makers the last several years. Wiggins and Morcell you know, more sell defensively. And then obviously the team that had Wiggins and Cowan and Smith. And then before that, Bruno and Sticks and Cowan and Wiggins, you know, and Herder. You know, they've had some difference makers. I don't see any difference makers right now on this team. That worries me in what is, you know, a, a pretty loaded Big Ten. Um, we'll see what happens. They could have won the game last night. Against a team that's only got two losses, and their two losses were to ranked teams. They lost to Xavier by a point, and they lost to Memphis by eight. So they'd come in with, you know, a couple of losses, but I think everybody knows that, that Virginia Tech is supposed to be good this year in the ACC. And Maryland had a chance. You know, they had a seven point lead, then they, they cut it to one, and their kid, uh, Mutz, literally drove baseline, lost the ball. The ball goes up in the air, tips off a Maryland player, and goes in. And then Reese misses a wide-open layup by like five feet when he should have flushed it. Um, But they didn't deserve to win last night. If they had won, they didn't deserve it necessarily. They didn't execute as well as Virginia Tech did. No doubt, Virginia Tech got everything they wanted over the last 10 minutes, maybe except for the last minute or so. But they got everything they wanted, and Maryland really struggled to get what they wanted. Um, and I don't know what the answers are. That's going to be him for, for him to figure out. And he's figured out a lot of shit in recent years. I mean, you know, that team last year had no business having the season that they had and winning a game in the tournament. That was, you know, a rebuild year off the year that they should have had a chance to go to a Final Four with the team they had during the COVID um, year uh, with, no, with no tournament. But um, I don't know, man. I'm concerned. I'm definitely concerned. And I'll tell you what, Tommy, if they have a bad season and they, you know, win 14, 15 games and don't go to the tournament, I don't know what Damon Evans will do. That contract wasn't like a massive commitment. You know, I think the press release on the contract was a little bit more than the financial commitment. We'll see. Uh I'm rooting for him. I know he's a good coach. And I know he'll, you know, if he, you know, he and Matt Brady and Danny Manning and that staff will figure it out if they can figure it out. Um, but uh, I don't see it right now with that squad. So there you go. That's my Maryland take. I know it got a little bit long, but they lost to Virginia Tech. By the way, if you if you want a, a, a team right now that is underachieving, look at Michigan. Carolina blew them out last night. This game was in the in the second half was never close. Michigan is. Now lost by 21 and 18 within a week. This was a team projected to be a Final Four team, the Big Ten, you know, runner-up or champion. Produced phenomenal, and Jawan Howard's team is really underachieving so far this year based on expectations. Purdue's my favorite team in the country right now. I think they're the best team in the country. 
Uh, by the way, there was a four-overtime game last night between NC State and Nebraska. It was tremendous. Um, the Big Ten did win the ACC Big Ten Challenge, if you were wondering. Do you have any uh, follow-up to that? Did you want me to answer any of your questions, or did you want to say anything? No. Okay. No, I'm done. I'm, I'm done with that. Can I just tell you real quickly, because I didn't watch the Wizards game like I've been watching the games, because the Maryland game was on at the same time, and that is my priority. Um even though I love the Wizards. Last night in their win over the Timberwolves, Gafford and Harrell combined to go 18 of 22 from the floor. They combined for 45 points on 18 of 22 from the floor. They combined for 15 rebounds and three block shots. Harrell scored 27 points in 21 minutes. That's unbelievable. He's really something special. They were yes, losing they were losing that game and then you know they came back and they had a bad loss the other night. They got pummeled by by San Antonio. Um, San Antonio. Yeah, I saw that. That was Monday night. Uh I was watching both games at the cigar bar and uh for about two thirds of the game I thought the Wizards were gonna finally win in San Antonio. And then I wasn't paying attention, and before I knew it, they had lost. Do you know, I was right around the corner. Um, I was at Mastro's, you know, the steakhouse right down the street from Shelley's, oh, yeah. um, for dinner two weeks ago, whatever. I, I, Mastro's, by the way, is one of my favorite steakhouses. It's so good. Anyway, um, I was there for dinner, and I almost, before I went in, for dinner, I almost walked down to see if you were there because <laughs> I had a feeling you might be there. It was a, it was like a Thursday night. I think it was a Thursday night, a couple weeks back. I'm there Thursday after I teach. I, I know, and I was Thursday thinking, night. and I yeah. and I was thinking, and I was running late. Not to make an excuse, but I was running late and got in there. But um, I almost was like, shit, I should just run down the block because it's you know it's a half a block from Mastro's. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But she didn't. I didn't. And I like to say the thought. I like to say the thought counts, but it really. Well, doesn't. what would have happened had I walked in and said, "Hey, I just wanted to see if you were here, but I'm late for dinner. See ya." Instead of sitting down and having well, a beer with you, because I, I didn't have time to do that. Well, you wouldn't have been able to get out of there that quick because everybody would have jumped up and said, "Kevin, see ya." <laughs> yeah, right. Okay. Um, so. I th- we'll get to the RG three thing to finish up the show here um, in in a couple of minutes. Did you read the Brian Kelly quote from his press conference in Baton Rouge yesterday, or did you hear any no, of it, did or not. did you hear about it? Are, I'm, no. Let me let me before I get to it. Are you interested or fascinated by this incredible, unprecedented coaching movement carousel among major programs over the last week and a half? Is it interesting to you or oh. not? It's interesting only that um, I'm just, like, blinded by the obscenity of it. What, the, the money? Obscenity the obscenity mo- of money? the money. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, and, like, you know, I don't want to, you know, get on my soapbox about it, but, you know, Louisiana is not a rich state. Right. And I know that one has not necessarily have to do with the other, but it's more about optics as much as anything. And uh, it's 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 just an obscenity to me, you know. So that's my only interest in it. So Brian Kelly leaves Notre Dame to take the LSU job, 
And he was announced as LSU's new head coach yesterday. And here's one of the quotes from the press conference. Quote, I came down here because I wanted to be with the best. The resources here are outstanding. It starts with the alignment, excellence, the standard of expectations. Listen, you're looked at in terms of championships here. I want that. I want to be under the bright lights. I want to be on the Broadway stage. That's what my passion is. So, yeah, that's part of the draw. There's no doubt about that. Closed quote. Oh, my God. He was the coach of Notre Dame. I know. What? I mean, talk about high profile and bright lights. That's a when what I that's amazing. That's amazing to me. But Tommy, I thought about this, and he's right. The bright lights, Broadway, is the SEC. Notre Dame's now off Broadway. They're not the bright lights. You know, Notre Dame. I think when it's all said and done, they fucked up by not going into the Big Ten when they had a chance to go into the Big Ten. Not being a part of a conference, I think, has really impacted Notre Dame. And I say that, and they're 11-1, and and if certain things happen this weekend, they're going to be in the playoff. And he's taken them to the playoff. They didn't win a championship, and they got throttled by SEC schools or by Clemson, I think, one time. Um, But Notre Dame is not Notre Dame anymore. LSU and Alabama and Auburn and Texas A&M, the SEC is Broadway. The SEC is the biggest stage in all of college sports, SEC football. That's what he's telling you, and that's what it proves. He left Notre Dame to go to Baton Rouge and LSU. I know LSU is a massive program. They've won national championships, plural. And by the way, then run their coaches after they win them. Um, And I know what the expectations are, but this is all about being a part of the best conference and the most intense environment in all of college sports. And so someone might say, well, why didn't Lincoln Riley stay at Oklahoma then, Sheehan? They were headed into the SEC. Well, it's a good question, but I think USC and Los Angeles has a sort of allure that maybe Notre Dame and South Bend doesn't. And, I would agree. And Norman doesn't. I mean, plus the deal, the deal, I read some of the details of the deal for Lincoln Riley. It's oh, ridiculous. Oh, it's insane. Yeah. Not that, by the way, I do think that not only would he have gone into the SEC with Oklahoma, I believe that LSU may have been interested in Riley even before going to Kelly. Anyway, that's not the point. The point is, Brian Kelly has been the Notre Dame coach forever. He is second to Rockney. He's been at Notre Dame, and he said yesterday that he's here at LSU because he wants to, be, to have a, a job where you know he's under the bright lights, that he's on the Broadway stage, that you're looked at in terms of championships. That's just an amazing statement. An amazing statement. Yeah. And anybody that tells you that's not in the know, that tells you that it's not a surprise that Brian Kelly left Notre Dame to go to LSU, I think that's bullshit. I'm I I'm a big college football fan, college basketball fan. I was stunned by that. I did hear 
like t- a week ago that Kelly could be a candidate for one of these jobs, but I'm like, yeah, but he's not going to leave for LSU or Oklahoma or, or you know, if if Riley leaves or your USC, he's at Notre Dame. But when you give it further thought and deeper thought, you know, Notre Dame plays North Carolina and Wake Forest. You know, they play these ACC teams. They're still not in a league. It hurt them not joining the Big Ten. They had that opportunity whenever that was to join the Big Ten, and they should have done it. Probably. What else do I have on my list of things for you? Let's wrap up with RG3. Let's do that right after these words from a few of our sponsors. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, guys, if you're looking for a place Saturday to hang out, watch football, watch the SEC championship game between Alabama and Georgia, I've got a recommendation. The Half Street Fairgrounds, the bullpen uh, right next to Nats Park. They are holding an SEC championship football tailgate this Saturday uh, featuring the 19th Street Band. They're going to have s'mores. They're going to have fire pits. They're going to have hot drinks. And cold drinks as well. Uh, doors open at 12. It's free admission. Most of you have spent, you know, a night or seven at the bullpen before a Nats game or after a Nats game. They're holding an SEC championship football tailgate um, this Saturday. Again, doors open at 12, free admission, lots of fun, live band, the 19th Street Band. Um, such a great spot for Nats games, but it's going to be a fun day. Uh, with all the football leading up to Bama, Georgia, later on in the afternoon. So check that out. Uh, by the way, Washington football team news related, Benjamin St. Juice to the IR. That's why he hasn't been playing as much. Apparently, um, he uh, has a concussion. He has not played really anything, any um, amount of dis- defensive snaps since the bye week. I like him, by the way, as a player. I think they do too. Um, but we've seen more Danny Johnson here uh, recently. So, back to the RG3 thing. One of the things he said in his video was that, you know, he's going to shed light on sexual harassment stuff that he experienced when he was in Washington. And so people started to ask him, right, Tommy, you can help me tell this story, but people started to ask him, well, if you witnessed some sexual harassment stuff, why haven't you come forward? And why would we want to wait 10 months when you can be helping some of these people, right? That's essentially what came out from some of the women like Emily Applegate and some of the others that, you know, are still trying to get the emails released and, you know, et cetera, and Congress to push harder, et cetera. Right? Yes, it is. Okay. Absolutely. So when someone pushed back on him, I don't know who it was, on essentially saying, well, why haven't you... Pro football talk, I think. Pro pro football talk did. So he and his wife sent out tweets. The wife saying, let's clear up a misconception about surviving Washington, the name of the book. In the book, Robert is not talking about other people's experiences with sexual harassment in Washington. He is talking about his 
own experience with sexual harassment in Washington. Griffin, in his response, RG3, to Pro Football Talk, who said, who did ask him, why hasn't he come forward with it before, said sexual harassment victims should share their stories when they are ready, not when you want them to. The book is not about other people's experiences with sexual harassment in Washington. It's about my experience with sexual harassment in Washington. Hopefully you will listen. So he's clearly, and his wife are clearly saying, that the part of the book that will deal with sexual harassment in Washington is his own personal experience of being sexually harassed. Is there another way to read that? I don't even know what it means. I mean, that's, that's, that's the inference. That's the inference that, that he's saying. You know, I mean, what does that even mean, though? Well, what are you saying? I mean, men can be sexually harassed. I know that, but how? By another <laughs> by, man? By another woman? Well, it can be What's by, he by it, it, it can be by any. It can be in a lot of different situations. I mean, it, it, men get sexually harassed, you know, as as well. I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that it's more prevalent. I don't know the data on any of this. So I'm not going to speak out of my ass. But he is inferring, implying. That I'm not telling you about other people's experiences. I'm going to tell you about my experience with sexual harassment. Right. So at some point, maybe we'll, we'll find that out before the book comes out. I suggested in my column that the House committee should call him to testify. No, I mean, nothing's stopping them from calling him to testify uh, if he was sexual harassed or if he saw sexual harassment. Right. The committee should call him to testify. If they call anybody to testify. <laughs> if they do. Yeah. Yeah. If, if, if they do. Beth, Wil- uh, Beth, Wilkinson should, Be- Beth Wilkinson should have interviewed him. Yeah, that would certainly give a lot of juice to the, uh, if there were any kind of hearings, <laughs> to have RG3 up there. <laughs> uh, Wouldn't it? Oh, my God. Meantime. Listen, in my, in my column, I called him, he could be the Sammy the Bull Gravano. To, right. and to, to uh, John Gotti. John Gotti. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, it, this is not good for Snyder. He won't have to go into it, witness protection, book. would he? No, I don't <laughs> think so. I don't think so. But the book, it's, it, it's got to have Dan Snyder worried. I mean, I, oh. he worries about, I think he worries about everything. I have no idea. All this stuff. So Gary Myers, who co-authored the book with him, said right. about this stuff. He was asked the same thing, said that's a good question. He heard things he didn't witness. So Gary Myers is essentially conflicting RG3's uh, wife and RG3's account that he was. So I think personally, this is my theory, they didn't think this thing through on the sexual harassment yeah. thing, and they're like, didn't think about people saying, well, wait a minute, if you witnessed this stuff, if you saw this stuff, why haven't you been an you know active participant in disclosing this stuff? And then they realized, ooh, that'll make us make me look bad. Uh, let me put a different spin on this. This isn't me witnessing it. This is me experiencing it. And I don't know. Maybe there'll be you know in addition something put into the book. I, I, oh boy. You want me to tell you what I first thought of? What? 
obviously I have no I have no knowledge of anything. Okay, no knowledge. This is pure just being honest about one of the things I thought about when they both claimed, he and his wife both claimed, that the sexual harassment was something that he, or they implied, that he experienced that was directed towards him. That's what you, I think that's a takeaway, right? At least a, a big takeaway based on him saying what he said. You know, Look, there, I, I think that is, that is the inference, okay. but I still am not clear what exactly he means. Um, there, oh God, there were rumors about his sexuality. Do you remember some of that? From, from Baylor. From Baylor. Yes. So is it possible that people said things to him about that Baylor, you know, story and, uh, you know, I, I don't even know been. if it was a story. It could, it could have been. That, that it, it could was, have been. That, I mean, the story could be, be totally false. And But it wouldn't stop a player or been. a coach from maybe yes. making a remark. It could be. That could be something as, as simple as that. Right. Basically, you know, somebody, you know, questioning him or or saying some kind of smart-ass comment to him. That's right. Related to those rumors. Yes. That's what I thought of. So if it comes out when this book comes out like and and he writes about something like that, there were the, the, there was a story about Baylor, it wasn't true and somebody in the building. Now, if it does go that route, let's all pray that it was the owner who made the remark. <laughs> yeah. 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 But I mean, I, doesn't, I don't, don't you get the feeling uh, well, that he's going to torch the owner? I think he's going to torch Shanahan, too. Well, we, that's easy. Yeah. He's going to do that. Did you see Shannon Sharp yesterday? Did you hear him go off? No. On his show with, uh, who does he do? Does he do the show with Cowherd? Who does he do the show with? I lose track I of know. all these I shows. Shannon Sharp, who obviously played for Mike and is a big Mike fan and Mike defender. Um, so somebody sent me something. Maybe it was Neil and Rockville said, here's the one guy that's going to defend your boy Shanahan more than you. Well, apparently Sharp went off and said, the only way this book has any validity is if RG3 comes clean on his role in all of this. And he goes, I don't think he will. And he started to say oh. things like, there are stories. You know, people have asked me and you and, and other, tell us all the stories that you've been hearing. Well, you know, there's stories that we've heard that, you know, we weren't there. We don't know for sure. And there he said, he said, it's not about sexual harassment, but about things like, you know, him walking around the building, you know, essentially telling players and coaches, hey, I'm going to put a good word in for you with the owner. He had a very, according to a lot of people, you've talked to him and I've talked to him. He had a very entitled stature in that building in 2012 and 2013 when he was here because the owner gave him a status that no other player or coach had. He was the he was owner's the most guy. Powerful guy. He was the most powerful guy in the building. Right. At one point. And and he and How um, do you coach a guy like that? Well, it's it's completely dysfunctional. You can't coach a guy like that. But, you know, yeah. Sharp, Shannon Sharp went on about all these stories you say cuz I'll tell you what if they're not in the book, that's when I'm going to start telling some of these stories. 
And that's what, you know, you, you got a narcissist, you got a guy who's been delusional, you've got a guy that had a lot of people that totally believed in him. I think less of those people believe in him now. You do have an incident that will still and forever be debated, and that is the Seattle playoff game, and he promises to tell you everything about that Seattle game and how, I guarantee you, he will say it ruined his the, the brilliant career that he was going to have. Um, and, uh, and, you know, it's going to be, who do you believe? You know, RG3 side, Shanahan side, you know, you won't ever hear from the owner about any of this stuff. Um, there will be a lot of anti Mike. There will be probably a lot of anti other people in the organization. I am very interested to see what he does with the owner and how hard he goes against the owner, considering it was the owner who was the person in that organization that loved him more than anybody else. And when people started to turn a little bit away from him being the savior, the owner was there to say, no, 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 it's him we're keeping, not all of these other people. These other people who all have either Hall of Fame resumes or will be very successful head coaches in the future, we're not going to believe them, we're going to believe him. Yeah, I mean, look, it's called Surviving Washington. So, I mean, he's already painted himself as a victim with the title of the book. Of course. You know? Yeah, it's a well, like he title. Was wrong. Yeah. Right. So you're not going to get, uh, you're not going to get, he's not going to come clean with his role. He's not going to admit to being anything other than a victim in this. Still, the collateral damage could be at least damaging this Snyder. I don't see how you can write this book at all without some damage and some criticism and some talking about the owner. It's impossible. You know, um, I, uh, maybe I don't, I have no idea. I, I honestly have no idea what to predict about this book. I am, I'd be disingenuous completely if I told you that I'm not going to be interested when it comes out. Um, I, you know, and I will read it. I think, by the way, I think there's going to be a very, I bet you there's some stuff in there that is very anti DC media and how the DC media was out to get him. Um, wouldn't surprise me if Tom Lavero is mentioned in the book. <laughs> um, uh, but, uh, hey, you think he'll use Super Bob references in the book? Super Bob, Bobby Three Sticks. I mean, <laughs> Doc got so frustrated with him, he started re- to referring to him as Bobby Three Sticks or just Bob in a very sarcastic way. You guys all have to understand that for me, I was all on board in 2012. I was like, this is going to be effing great. And oh, then, so was I. And then after that season and the stories from people, I'm not talking about from Mike or Bruce or, you know, I'm talking about from different players and from people who were close to certain players, the stories that started to come out. And then, you know, I knew from Mike about the meeting um, that the, the very famous meeting that came after a surgery, you know, in late January or February of 2013, well after the playoff game, when Robert called the meeting with Mike, Kyle, and Matt LaFleur and got up there on a whiteboard and, and basically said, uh, these plays will be stricken from the playbook. Uh, it is unacceptable for me to run these plays. And, you know, the father was saying that he was Peyton Manning and Aaron Rodgers, and that's what he was saying. And I remember Mike telling us this. This was on the air. 
Mike t- is looking at Matt and Kyle, Kyle in particular, who was furious, and he said, stop, stop. Robert, thanks very much for bringing this to, a, to our attention. We appreciate it. And Mike, you know, claims uh, claimed that day he got in his car and drove, drove right to the owner's house and said, what you just did by telling him to do this is going to ruin him. It, forget about the team. It's going to ruin his chances. You have to let us coach him, period. We have to be the person he answers to. It can't be you. And, you know, Mike said that Robert came in and was using all of the terms that Dan uses. And he said one of the major terms was unacceptable. Like he said unacceptable so many times that he and Kyle and they they looked at each other and they're like, this is coming straight from Dan. And, um, you know, look, Robert didn't remember. Robert did not deny that meeting took place. He denies the tone of that meeting and said that it was more of a collaborative meeting where he wanted to express how he felt about the way they played him in 2012 and that he didn't think that, you know, he needed to be that moving forward. And by the way, they weren't going to just do that moving forward. They wanted to turn him into, they wanted to develop him in, in more of a, a drop back way. Uh, I, I, whatever. Do you have anything else on that? Because I have one more thing that I wanted to mention to you. No, I got just one thing I wanted to mention. Besides, it has nothing to do with that. Well, I should this... have mentioned this in the Maryland. In the Maryland. Okay, uh, go ahead and mention it. Take. Uh, on Friday after Thanksgiving in Baltimore, I was at this store called Second Chance. It's a giant warehouse in Baltimore where they have all kinds of, of used stuff from all over the place. I mean, like giant statues that were donated and uh, all kinds of wild stuff. You know what's in there? What? The Maryland from the floor of Cole Fieldhouse. What, the the M? The, the, the whole word, Maryland, in red letters, giant red letters, that was in the floor at Cole Fieldhouse. It's hanging on the wall at this place called Second Chance. I don't know what you're talking about, though. I mean, I'm, I, I remember the coal floor, which changed a little bit. You know, on the end lines, they had Terrapins on one end, Maryland on the other. What? what which Maryland? Because there wasn't, there was, where was the Maryland that you're talking about? I don't. Was it on I the floor? I don't know where on the floor it was. Okay, but it, you, yeah, you I, say it came from the, the floor. floor. Okay, all right. Yes. Just in case you wanted to buy it, I think it's for sale. Uh, by the way, thanks to the Maryland people for sending me the Len Bias jersey. I appreciate that. Uh, I really do. Um, uh, we haven't talked a lot about uh, Len Bias um, in the last couple of days. He got inducted into the College Basketball Hall of Fame, which is why they honored him last night. And they did it well. You know, they prepared for it. They did it well. Um, the father and mother were there. I mean, what lives they've had. Um and like I, I feel like in talking about bias, like I've done it so much over the years on every anniversary. The net of it is for me, he's the greatest basketball player in Maryland history. Juan Dixon's the greatest winner, um, but bias is the best I ever saw, um, and I've seen them all. You know, going back to you know lefties days. I, I, I can't give you the Bud Milliken guys. I can't give you Gene Shu, Tommy, and some of the others. But but Leonard was the um, was the best player I've ever seen. He's one of the best college basketball players I've ever watched. 
And uh, there are so many moments, you know. There's the North Carolina moment when they won at the Dean Dome. Um, There's a moment that, you know, I remember very vividly from a game against Villanova in the regular season where he got an offensive rebound and dunked on Ed Pinckney um, and just stared down on him as he was hanging from the rim. Um, There's the famous senior game against Virginia where he – had you know, uh, Olden Polynes had had uh, you know had blocked a shot in the game at U-Haul earlier in the year and and barked about it and 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 Bias swatted at a Polynes shot early in the game and while the play was going on he just was in his face barking at him and it was just amazing he was he was one mean competitor he was a badass competitor. I've said it many times. I don't think he was Jordan. I think he was Dominique Wilkins. That's the comp. He was not a ball handler. He may have improved it, but he wasn't a two guard. Jordan was a shooting guard. Bias was a forward. You know, Bias had a much better shot than Jordan. Jordan eventually developed into a great shooter. Bias was a natural shooter. But Bias was a human highlight reel like Dominique Wilkins was. And I think he would have had that kind of career. And that that would have been the comp um, more than Jordan would. Uh, One of my favorite things, I'll, I'll never forget the first time I did that on the air. And Coach Thompson came in. You and I were doing the show, and, and Coach Thompson came in either, either before the show ended or it was out in the bullpen. And he just looked at me and he said, that's the comp. You nailed it. It's not Jordan. And, you know, a coach was close with Jordan, obviously, with Nike. Right. And he said Dominique Wilkins was, was Bias's comp. The, that's who he was similar to. And, by the way, what a hell of a player to be comp to. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, but he would have been a human highlight reel. Two quick things. One. At the same time that Robert Griffin was announcing the book thing, Trent Williams was doing a podcast with Adam Schefter. I listened to some of it. And good for Trent not to get into great detail. He was very emotional during this podcast about the cancer and the diagnosis that was that led to somebody telling him, a doctor telling him, get your affairs in order. I can only imagine what that would be like for somebody our age, my age, your age, let alone somebody so young. They told him to get his affairs in order because it was, you know, a tumor in his head. Um, He got very emotional about that. Schefter really tried to go down the Washington path, and he really didn't want to go there. He just kept saying over and over again, I'm, I'm not, you know, hell-bent on reliving the past, um, you know, and it just wasn't for me to be there anymore. They had a different direction, um, and I went a different direction. I've heard a lot of things about the, you know, the, you know what happened and, and the accusations he made about the organization that they were furious about because they don't believe them to be true, um, that... You know, he may have missed a couple of the doctor appointments that they had scheduled originally. Um, you know, Snyder flew him on his on the plane to see uh, the neurosurgeon um, out in Chicago. Uh, but that relationship uh, with Snyder and with, you know, key people in that organization ended, you know, because he made racial uh, accusations. Remember, when he came back, you know, before that deadline, um, in October of 2019, is it now? 2018. By the way, just as an aside, he is having his best season. He has been dominant this year. Uh, but Washington's Kevin, offensive line's been great. He's got a documentary coming out. 
Yes, he does. Well, that's why he was doing the Schefter uh, podcast. I'm sorry. Yeah. It's called it's it's called Silverback. You know, that was his nickname. Um, yeah. And that's why he was doing the uh, the Schefter podcast. I did reach out to him to, to ask him, do you want to come on the radio show? And he uh, has not responded yet. I, I'd love to get Trent on. I always enjoyed him, by the way, as a guest. I thought I think Trent's really smart and bright and so do I and interesting in the whole thing. Um, he's having a phenomenal year. Last thing, I did watch King Richard. What do you think? I thought Will Smith was great. I thought it was good. I'm with you on this. I thought it was good. Um, I don't know how much of the story is missing, but if you read some of the reviews, a lot of the story is missing. I thought it was good. I enjoyed it. But that's because I'm yeah. I'm a Serena and Venus fan. I've always been a huge Serena fan. And, you know, there's a lot that I didn't know. Let me just tell you that if it's true that, that he was obviously – push he very much pushed his kids clearly but given the situation that they grew up in in Compton um I totally get why he was so overbearing and so pushy but if it's also true that he pushed them but at the same time never put a lot of pressure on them which is really what the movie reflects it reflects a guy that understood hey this is their way out and if they don't get out this way, it's going to be a lot of trouble because of where we live and where they're growing up. But he made it fun for them, and he never put pressure on them by, you know, and, and there's that part, Tommy, about some of those early junior tennis tournaments that Venus was playing in that Serena wasn't because Venus was the, you know, perceived, you know, star. Um and right. all you see all of the other parents and the pressure they're putting on their, you know, white privileged kids, you know, and I'm not so sure all of them are privileged, but I bet a lot of them were. And he recognized how wrong that was. I give him a lot of credit because if that part of it's true and he didn't push them and put pressure on them and, you know, he was very like he seems to have been, if it's true, very upbeat and positive with them. It was a very positive experience, even though he didn't really give them a choice. But he didn't give them a choice because of their, you know, the the situation they were in. And if he'd given them a choice, it could have gone badly for both of them. By the way, I think, and I've always felt this way about both of them, that they are very innately highly intelligent. And that, um, and they, by the way, they were students too. Um, and by the way, the girl, the other kids were too, but, uh, I don't know. I just don't know about the first family and the other kids from the other marriage and you know how that worked out. None of that story was told. No, it's worth watching. It's worth watching. It's worth watching. I mean, you can say that about almost anything Will Smith is in. Will Smith did a great job. Didn't you think? Yeah, I did. I think he did a good job. Yeah. Okay. There it is. We ended the show with a recommendation. King Richard. It's about Richard Williams, the father of Serena and Venus, and how he turned them into champions. All right, Tom. That was a lengthy show, I believe, uh, but I enjoyed it. I hope you did, too. <laughs> we'll talk to you on Tuesday. Do you, I, I do want a quick prediction from you. I guess we almost forgot that. What's your prediction about Sunday? Oh, I think Washington wins 27-20. to 20. There you go. First time I think you've picked him to win in a while, right? Yeah, it is. Okay. I picked him to lose last week. 
No yeah. smell test pick tonight. I would lean New Orleans though, uh, and I'm probably I'm probably going to play New Orleans, but I it's not an official pick. Uh, the whole smell test in its entirety tomorrow. That's it for the day. Back tomorrow. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.